0: His name is Heston Blumenthal. He is one of the most inquisitive and creative chefs on the planet with a knowledge of food quite unlike anyone else. And now he's taking us on a journey to the centre of our food. Deep inside, ingredients and dishes we all recognise, but we don't know the secret hidden things inside them that will hopefully, when Heston reveals them, change how we all view these dishes and our
1: cooking and our eating just a little bit. Hello, Heston. How are you doing? Hello, Jay. I'm doing very well. Very well, thank you very much. Hello, everyone. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Planet Burger.
0: And of course, we are joined, as always, by James, our Fat Duck producer, who is going to be uh, there making sure that we don't stray too far away from fact, possibly, maybe. Hello, James. Good day to you both. Nice to be here. I shall be doing my very best to keep you in in the right side of fact. (laughs) (laughs) The sun is shining, Heston, and we're going to have a burger. Yes, a burger for all seasons. (laughs) talk to me about burgers because i find that one of those dishes that has evolved so much you know nowadays they're absolutely everywhere in all different shapes and forms but do you know about where it all started in your adventures into history which i know inspire you a lot do you know where burgers come from originally
1: well there's a very long history of chopped meat in varying cultures around the world going back hundreds of years and um essentially the patty which is the which is the meat part of the burger it's called a patty is um is chopped meat now one of the one of the one theory about why chopped meat is that in meat you have lots of connective tissue so like a steak or if you think of ox tail there's even more connective tissue and that connective tissue you either have to break it down by very prolonged cooking or you bash the meat so you break the fibres and the tissues by physical um... um, physical action and you chop it or you mince it so if you mince the meat then you break a lot of those fibres down so you don't have to go through the long prolonged cooking process you chop it all so you're breaking it down before you cook the meat so there is a, as I said, there's a very um, there 's a very long standing tradition of chopped meat in many cultures. now, one of the theories now I love history of food is there's lots, there are lots of uh, what 's the word tenuous linkages in, 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 in the origins of dishes but the one that, the one that I like, which is, a, which is a theory, it is not proved, but it 's a, it's a very nice one, kind of begins with Genghis Khan oh that sounds good that's a good story to get
0: genghis khan uh, yeah, that's what i burger. like it.
1: <laughs> genghis khan and and it was he was sort of one of the very first major uh, empires and in fact i, I find it quite funny if, with metaphors you know when we say i'm so hungry i could eat a horse it's a metaphor but why a horse genghis khan's empire was thanks to horses that's how they got around, they, tr- they travelled the world and, and massacred <laughs> many, <laughs> many societies um, on the back of horses. So they needed, to, um, they needed sustenance when they were travelling, quite long distances, so they would put the meat, they would chop the meat and they would make, sort of press it together, put it under the saddle. So prolonged riding, you'd crush the meat. It, oh God knows what would uh, <laughs> <laughs> think about all the sweat and the heat. Sounds awful. Leather and horse flesh, <laughs> under the saddle. But it it would it would grind the meat further and tenderize it and and age it. Now I had no idea what that would taste like, but then that then um, uh, Geng- Genghis Khan, uh, his grandson, basically uh, a long line of invaders. Uh, kind of they they went into Russia invaded Russia and around about 1200 um they it got into sort of the hierarchical Russian system uh and state tartar was born oh right and tartar is russian for um mongol genghis khan was the chief the leader of the mongols so there's your steak tartar Genghis Khan chopped meat um, That's connection. That's really good. I had no idea about any of that. Yeah, it's, a lo- it's a lovely story, isn't it? And then, uh, now, fast forward. In the meantime, there were chopped meat um, dishes in many other cultures around the world. But let's follow following this lineage. Um, it it found its way into the Baltic. So around about 1600. And. Um, the sort of center of the Baltics at that time was Hamburg. Uh, and that led to Hamburg steak, which, unlike a, a, a steak, is at one piece of meat. But the Hamburg steak was the meat that's been chopped and then pressed together. So it's a Hamburg steak. This is a. Um, semi-widely believed lineage of the hamburger well you and i over uh, the years
0: of making historic tv shows have made up and not made up sorry have, 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 have continued enough of these tenuous links because everyone out there always wants to know something was invented on a specific day and it doesn't really work like that in history does it people didn't just jump up and go i know
1: what we're going to do going to chop meat for the first time quick someone write it down yeah there's enough information to sort of piece this tenuous history together but it's a lovely little story so let's let let's run with this. So we've got sixteen hundred Hamburg, Germany, Hamburg steak. Now the Germans started to trade with 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 across the Atlantic with the states, and um, <clears throat> there were Hamburg steak. Then evolved into the beef was then slightly salted and smoked, lightly smoked sometimes, so that would help the curing process. So we're moving towards more of a cooking, uh, more of a, a cured smoked meat and apparently it became the sort of street food by on the on the ports in 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 the states so the ships would come in from from the baltics and you're now into the 1800s and you know places like new york started to boom and there is a record of it being served in a restaurant called Delmonico's, which is in wall street And I actually filmed in Delmonico's because it apparently was the home or the first restaurant to serve Baked Alaska. Oh. (laughs) And apparently they served a hamburger, but I think this was without any buns. It was Hamburg steaks. It It was that same meat patty that might have been salted and smoked that was grilled. Now, what we do know, let's jump forward to around about 1900. There's a restaurant called Louis' Lunch. And it's still there. It's in Connecticut, just outside this, outside of uh, New York. And it's a funny one-story little brown brick building in a car park. And in fact, McDonald's apparently wanted to buy it, and they refused to sell, them, sell it to them. Sell it to them. Have you been there? And you go, yeah, I've been there. I filmed there. So you go in there, and they have their burgers, their meat patties, and they have a vertical grill. So imagine a um, the grill. So you've got two cake sort of cake racks where you sandwich the burgers in and you put them in like a bookshelf and you grill it grills them on both sides sides. Hmm. And the story was that around about nineteen hundred some man rushed in I love the way there's always one incident, but it's probably not the case, but it, you know it's like the the, the, the Marquis the Marquess of Bedford in 1800 and something thinking <laughs> she couldn't go all day without food, so she asked the butler to make a, make a, uh, a something to eat, and afternoon tea was born. The chances are for, there wasn't one moment, but let's just this is imagination and this is history, and you know the the, the blur between fairy tales and, and history is is wonderfully mixed, so he ran in he was in a hurry, he wanted a meat patty. To go, so they put it in a couple of slices of bread or toast, and a bit like you know the Earl of Sandwich. The story for that, where the origin of the sandwich, that he was addicted to gambling, and he was in a he was in a casino in London, and he was ga- he'd gamble sort of almost around the clock. He wouldn't leave the gambling table. He wanted a steak, but he wanted something he could pick up with his hands. So they put it they put it in a in a bread in a in a piece of in a loaf of bread. So Steak Sandwich, the Earl of Sandwich. The Sandwich was born. So this is a, has a similar story to that. Um, anyway, Louis' lunch then became became famous. And in fact, it's the first case of... It's the first um, logging of a hamburger served in America that's in the Library of Congress. Wow. Okay, that's pretty impressive to get in there. Yeah, so, so Louis' lunch claims they're the, they're the home of the hamburger. And when you go in there it's quite funny it's like a, imagine a sort of a bar and instead of sort of the beer at the bar the back at, behind the, the people behind the bar you've got your vertical grill and they make the burger they, they tell you not to there's no buns it's toast toasted bread oh wow and there's a sign that says, there's a sign up there when you walk in that says this is not Burger King you don't get it your way you take it my way or you don't get the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's, so once you see that, you think, okay, toast is great. Thank Fair you. <laughs> um, and if you ask for ketchup, they have a ketchup, plastic ketchup bottle with a with a spout, like a squeezy bottle. Uh, it's not a ketchup bottle. It's a, it's a, like a, you know, we used to have those round tomatoes, plastic tomato bottles. It's a bit like that, but a bit more elongated. And then they'll squeeze it at you and there's a red string in the bottle with a little knot at the end. And so what happens is you get you get fired, this red piece of string at you, for asking for ketchup. They don't put ketchup in it. What do they and put it's in the it first then? Do they put anything in it? Oh, well, they, they, yeah, they've got a slice of onion and tomato in it. And um, they I've never seen this before. I've never seen this before. It was edible, spreadable cheese. So it was a tin, about 8 inches diameter, about 6 inches high. And it was to imagine sort of somewhere between those soft burger cheese slices you buy in the little, you know, each individual yeah, wrapped in cellophane yellow ones, and yeah. Dairy Lee. But it's luminous yellow stroke orange and you just get it with the back of a spoon and you spread it. So it's this spreadable cheese. It sounds awful, but it, but it tastes amazing, right? I really enjoyed it. And I thought, what's wrong with It's amazing how sort of conditioned we are to eating something a particular way. And we then say there's a right way. There's no right or wrong way to eat something, um, but it it I was it was really it was really enjoyable. So then we move then we move forward to only a few years, a couple of years later, 1904, which is the St. Louis World Fair, and the burger, the Hamburg steak, made its debut there, and apparently caused a massive stir. Everyone went mad for it, and then and then so so bur- the burgers. A uh, burger's stature on Planet Food was firmly established. Actually, at that same World Fair in 1904 was when an edible ice cream cone was served because they used to put ice cream on, on glass cones. So you'd just sort of lick... It was called a penny lick. So you'd have your glass cone and the ice cream trader would then scrape the ice cream on the, on the glass penny lick and then you'd lick the ice cream off. It wouldn't eat the cone. So they did an edible cone and they claimed the Americans invented it. Then... They'd found uh, Margaret Marshall, which is the woman who had a cooking school in the UK. An amazing woman had a recipe for an edible ice cream cone from 1890 something. Then they found it out it was an Italian in Paris from a few years earlier. So, but the Americans claimed they invented the ice cream cone at the same World Fair that the hamburger uh, took pride of place, and so then the burger was born. That was it, and now it's been completely woven into, into the fabric of our of our edible society.
0: What an amazing story! I didn't know you knew all that, but you certainly know the history. That was a, but like you say, a fairy tale. That is the fairy tale of the Hamburg, and that is that is brilliant. I thought that what a delightful ch- tale from the sort of saddlebags of the Mongol hordes through to the World <laughs> Fair. I think it's I'd, yeah. I'd love to have gone to one of those World Fairs as well. They do sound like pretty impressive things. Either that or the Crystal Palace. That would have been pretty cool as well.
1: Yeah, well, just those buildings. I mean, the Albert Hall was built for the World Fair. The Eiffel Tower was built for a World Fair. I had no Crystal idea. Crystal Palace was built for a world fair. Yeah, the Eiffel Tower was 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 for the for the I can't remember what year, but the the world fair in Paris and the Albert Hall was was along with Crystal Palace was the world fair in uh, in London.
0: Now, do you have um because obviously our 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 world and especially growing up as we did is very woven with American culture but where I grew up especially there was no Burger King and there was no uh, McDonald's until I was about 15, 16 I remember the excitement when, when those arrived in the West Country it was
1: incredible it was one Burger King it was so funny wasn't it because they were called fast food <laughs> but the queues the queues are really long and then there was that that um, what was that advert it was a competition I remember that as a kid you had to say uh, something like to all beef Patty's special sauce, cheese, pickle, and onion, all served in a sesame seed bun. And if you could say it quicker in a certain time, you got a free burger. I always remember that. That's amazing. It was, a, it was a great marketing campaign. But where did and, you and go? Think, where
0: we do? Because we, you'll be the same as me. You'll have gone to
1: Wimpy. Yeah, Wimpy. I think my, my the first memory of special uh, occasion burger was was the odd birthday a friend of mine his birthday he lived in london we lived outside so my birthday treat was going to the cinema going for a chinese meal and going Davills, getting some ice cream that that was that was my my birthday treat his was to go to a place called Joe Allen's in london and it was I think it was in covent garden it was a basement uh kind of all brick very american style never having been to America at the time, but American style restaurant. I remember having burgers there, but it was really wimpy. And the wimpy with the four mica tables and the red tomato ketchup bottles and the Perspex menu on the table.
0: Oh yes, yes. Yeah,
1: that was probably my first rate. And and it was a treat. One day after school, you'd, you'd go and have a wimpy. And it was on a, you get, but they were on China plates. With a knife and fork, <laughs> yeah. With a knife and fork, and, and then brown derby, which was a donut. It sounds horrible, brown derby, but it was a donut with a vanilla ice cream piped in it.
0: Oh, that sounds good. That does,
1: James. When did James? When did Wimpy open? 1954 opens
0: at the Lion's Corner House, London. 1954. Oh, first Wimpy before 1954, but it was 1970 Wimpy became a global brand as it opens over a oh, thousand right. restaurants in 23 countries. So it kind of began small and. and Are there any more Wimpys left? I don't. I don't. Know. I Are have. Go- there's one in Amersham High Street. Is there? Yeah. I thought they're gone. Oh, that's good. There certainly that's was bad. one, but obviously can't be certain these days. I don't. I seem to remember having burgers as a kid, but they were not. Exciting until the American places opened. Until we had the Burger King and the
1: McDonald. I think there was something also a bit like Kentucky Fried. There's something when you get things in bags and boxes and packages. It's a bit, you know, you just open stuff. <laughs> and there's some, there's some, some level of excitement about that. And I think the idea that, you know, fast food. You could go. I mean, the, the, the McDonald story was was very interesting because they, with these, basically. I think there were brothers that started it, and they, they, they when they opened it, they, then they had a handful of, uh, of of McDonald's restaurants, but they were nothing like they were. And then, then some some guy came along and thought, looked at the system, and said, "We can we can turn this into something really big." So they they sort of used humans but machinery and mimicked a a factory manufact- manufacturing process that you might use for say automobiles, for burgers and 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 yeah you know, it's the the fast food burger and it's interesting because uh, the world of hamburgers you've got fast food and there's a t- it's like i i said before you can't have a best pizza or a best burger there's your best there's your favorite and your favorite might change sometimes you might want the pizza out of a cardboard box watching a film sometimes you want, might want a true naples pizza with a very sort of slow fermented sour, sourdough dough or something like that cooked in a wood oven and the same things with burgers it's very different you can have you can have you know really fantastic quality ground meat burger with different cuts of meat with different grinds that when the bun is of a particular texture you can also have the burgers that just have you ever had it sometimes where you just think oh no you've gone too far Mm. now that food isn't right or wrong but you've gone too far for me should I say? I get that a lot with where, burgers.
0: I don't like it when burgers become too just elaborate, where you can't. Yeah, I, yeah, I can. No, or,
1: or you put it in a big focaccia or a or a <laughs> piece of bread that's so hard. My biggest, my biggest issues are when when the bread is so hard that it just it either hurts your jaw, cuts into your teeth, or as you bite into it, it's like throwing a frisbee. The burger just flies out the other side. We're going to pause here just before we
0: delve into how you make your burgers and all the different bits and bobs that you want to discuss inside the burger. Um, We thought we would just share something with you that Heston, myself and James are all really into. Have you ever wondered how ancient humans survived pandemics or how the internet came to be? Well, now you don't need to wonder. You can learn about it and so much more with The Great Courses Plus. And this is something we all enjoy, isn't it, Heston? You've listened to many of these before.
1: Yeah, I love them. I've I've been engrossed by them, and you just get <clears throat> wonderful insight into many many subjects, ranging from the the arts to history to science to evolution and paleontology. is is um, by experts, and it's a deep dive into um, into basically just about any subject you can think of.
0: Well, I've just seen a lovely looking one on the Mongol Empire, which I think I'll check out. I watched one all about how to survive a disaster uh, which was well, basically, you can't. That was the conclusion I got off. It was really, really interesting, but it's like, you don't stand a chance.
1: <laughs> basically, you can't. Was that 30-something episodes? <laughs> <laughs>
0: there are thousands of lectures available covering everything from history to cooking, biology to business and so much more. They're all presented, as Heston said, by respected professors and experts, and they're so easy to watch or listen to at any time from anywhere in the world on the Great Courses Plus app Uh, and the great news is you can join us and sign up for the great courses plus today because right now they for a limited time have for just our listeners an entire month for free. Um, That's access to any and all of The Great Courses for the next month completely free. So get on there, don't wait. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Heston. uh, Thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Heston. Sign up and you can get some of these Great Courses and really enjoy them and discover all you want about disasters, Mongol hordes and food. Uh, And talking about which, back on with our burger. Heston, talk to me about you making burgers
1: okay so I, I suppose when i when i i spent quite a lot of time thinking about this as as one does being me <laughs> and we touched on we've just been talking about if a burger's too thick yeah the, the the idea that the burger is layered you've got the layers in 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 basically it all the layers together so so it becomes more that more than a sum of its parts the idea is you bite through all those layers so you want to bite through all those layers with every bite and if the burger is too thick if it's too thick to get your mouth round then you can't bite through all the layers so we, I did quite a lot of work with an amazing guy called John, Professor John Prince at Wageningen Food Research Centre in Holland. Wageningen is a word; it's a town that, it's like you never don't want to finish saying the word Wageningen, Wageningen. When does it stop? Because he slapped me to stop it. Wageningen, and it's this incredible um, one of the leading, most advanced food research places in centres, universities in the world. Got some incredible um, uh, departments and and. Researchers and scientists there, and John was an oral physiologist. So he studied what happened with the mouth. Ma- so the way, the what happens with food when we put it in the mouth. So the act of chewing and crunching, and what the tongue does, and the producing of saliva. All of this stuff is it's a is a, is an it's another universe. And so it behaves. So we produce more saliva for some foods. It all is designed to get it into. A, uh, the right condition before we swallow it, and he's got lots of cool bits of kit um, that he look, uses to experiment. And one of this pieces of kit was was in a in a perspex box, and it was a jaw. Well, it was two. Imagine the sort of dental, you know, the gums with the teeth that dentists have. Yeah. Set of top and bottom teeth, complete with you know molars and everything, and the, you can. Re- sort of replicate the act of chewing and crunching. So when we chew, when we crunch, we go straight down. When we chew, we go in a sort of spirally motion. Yeah. So you crunch, You're and it's designed to break the food up more. Um, But obviously crunching goes straight down because once you go straight down, the food will break up into smaller pieces. So um, he explained something fascinating to me and that was, and I might... It was the three finger rule. i It might have in. I wrote about this before, and in the book it might have been printed the two finger rule. So if it is, that's a mistake. <laughs> that I didn't realise. It is the three finger rule, and apparently it works for every single person that has fingers. Obviously, your <laughs> own three fingers. If you put your th- your forefinger and the two fingers below that together, yep, and put open your mouth, and put those three fingers vertically in your mouth. That's the, about the widest. You can't do four fingers. No, it's it too big. It
0: hurts if you do three. Uh, yeah. Three's right on the limit. It's still comfortable, but you're right there, aren't
1: you? It's, it's a comfortable limit. Two fingers is... But it's three fingers. So the burger, with the bun, I thought, I have to get it to three to three-finger thickness, even if it's a little bit of squeezing. So that means the bun has to be soft enough. Then when you pick it up, you can compress the buns a bit. It keeps everything together. You get, it'll amalgamate, I like that word, some of the juices. If you've got tomato in there and the juices from the, from the, from the meat patties, uh, if you've got any sauce in there, you could, it, it helps that come together. So the thickness of the burger was important, which also was, dete- was determined by how many fillings, how many layers, the thickness of the meat patty, and not only the thickness of the buns, but how much air was in the buns. Because the more dense the dough is, you won't be able to squash them down. So I started off by looking at the patty itself because that's the origin of the burger, as we've heard from Genghis Khan days. It's the meat. And I experimented with lots of different cuts of meat and I ended up with a mixture of chuck, brisket, and short rib. So the chuck and the brisket come from, if you look at a picture of an image of a cow, Below the neck, you've got the sort of breastplate and the beginning of the belly underneath. There's there's where the chuck, chuck and the brisket are. Um, the brisket also has the fat in the brisket. It's slightly yellowy, slightly buttery fat, which is a really nice texture to include into the burger. You do want you want some fat in your in your burger because it makes it helps make it juicy. So I settled on fifty percent chuck, twenty five percent brisket. And 25%, I played around with with um, with with sirloin and rib, but I ended up with short rib because it has a more dense, I like the flavor of short rib, it's a bit stronger. Then next stage was aging the meat. So we tried, because when you have a piece of steak or roast beef, aging, maturing the beef makes a massive difference to the flavor. You get a wonderful, nutty, grassy flavor. Uh, and the meat becomes more tender. Now tenderizing is not such an issue really at all with a burger because you're grinding the meat, which means you tenderize it anyway by mechanical action of grinding. Uh, so when we made the mix with where all the meat was aged for thirty plus days, it was too strong for a burger. Just in my head, it was it it, it went into it was a mixture of burger and ye ye old roast ribber of of england which was which just just seemed a bit too strong for me it it was too much so what we did was to age the ribs if you age one of the one of the because ribs age really well really well so we aged the ribs so now we've got 50% chuck not aged a bit maybe a, you know a couple of weeks a week um, 25% brisket with its nice golden buttery fat again short aging time and then short ribs which have been aged aged for a month or two months and then the grind a lot of this is trial and error you have to play around with the grind so different grind size but we chose grinding twice so you grind a bit like when you pass something through a sieve mm-hmm. you generally pass through a bigger hold sieve for if you've got more bits in it you don't try and pass it through all through a tea, uh, tea strainer because one, it takes forever and you don't get all this, there's so much stuff that doesn't come through, so you pass it through a bigger hold sieve and then that, what you get out of that sieve, you then pass it through a finer sieve. Right. So there's the same process with grinding. So we pass through, I can't, uh, it's probably in the book somewhere actually, if while I talk, I can come back and add that. But we two grind sized sizes, a bigger grind and a smaller grind. So now you've got your ground mince, but there's, there's before that, just wind back a bit. Salt is a fantastic binding agent. When people make burgers, they put things like eggs, egg yolks or whole eggs and breadcrumbs in to bind it. You don't need to do that. Add salt, but add salt to the meat before you grind it. So let's say, but we didn't add salt to all the meat. We used say the chuck, cubes of chuck, before grinding, sprinkle with salt and leave for a couple of hours. And what the salt does, it pulls out myosin from the meat, and that liquid pulls it. It looks it's water, but it's it's got it's got other stuff in it. Some of the proteins that act as a glue. So that liquid is just in there's just enough moisture wow. in there with this binding agent, natural binding agent. You've you pulled out of the meat and it helps the meat stick together. So you don't need eggs and you don't need breadcrumbs and the, and the meat's been lightly salted at the same time. So you salt the meat, then grind um, the first time. You grind all the meat and then what you do is in the second grind, so you grind the meat separately, the three different cuts separately for the first grind. This Then you combine that minced meat, the chuck, the brisket and the short rib and you grind it a, on a finer grind but and this is the key thing for this burger for the for pre-cooking lay you get you've got your mincer there now if you're using a mincer at home normally the grinding um, element the bit where the meat comes out is is about a foot or so off the work surface isn't it it's normally up above on a Kenwood or something so put some books or an upturned yeah. box or something and put a tray on top of it so, yeah. it, so the tray's sitting just below the actual where the meat's coming out. Then lay some sheets of uh, cling film onto the tray. And then as the meat comes out of the grinder, help it out with your hands. So imagine, see my hand and my fingers, they're going horizontal. So the mince is coming out of the mincer horizontally uh, in parallel to the tray. So you you help that mince out. So what you're doing is you end up with like a river of mince. If you imagine the river flowing. Yeah. So all the the stream of minced meat is all running in the same direction. So then you pack that up and then you roll, you wrap it in the cling film. And then you tie both ends and you end up with a sausage, like a big sausage. That's basically the diameter of a burger. And depending on how much you mince, it could be a foot long. Wrap that up and then put it in the fridge for a couple of hours. And the salt will then will then play its role in firming up the burger and binding those bits of meat together now why did i think about mincing it in that direction because this when you eat it i wanted a burger to sort of as my ma- it's a bit like it, japanese chefs do this with sushi rice The the great sushi makers when they form that little technique they make when they put the rice together they, as they squeeze it together, underneath there's a little gap in the rice. So when you bite the rice, it should, as you press into it, it should almost fall apart in your mouth, whereas generally cheaper, less expensive sushi and sushi you buy from supermarkets, the rice is just one compact lump of rice. But if you if you have really well-made sushi, there's an art <coughs> to forming that ball of rice. So when you bite into it, you get this wonderful explosion of, uh, it all falls apart in your mouth. I had no idea. It's, they it's, did it's that. a it's a it's a wonderful texture. Yeah, wow. so we've done that with a burger. So if you think now, your burger, you've got this sausage of burger mints where all the mints is running parallel horizontally along the sausage. So like my fingers, if you put your arm out horizontally and you look at your yeah. hand, your fingers are running horizontal. They're they're parallel with your arm. So th- so there's <clears throat> that's your that's your sausage shaped yep. burger mix. Then you slice, cut slices off the sausage, and then and then turn them ninety degrees, and you end up with a burger, with a round patty burger. And in each of those burgers, your mince is actually like this. My fingers are. Do you see what I mean? If I can yeah, show you, vertical. how you s- It's all. It'll all be. It's all vertical. Up. Yeah, yeah. So when you bite into it, see what happens when you bite down? It does this. It'll just, Put the fingers they open up
0: it'll naturally fall apart in your mouth the right yeah, way
1: as opposed to trying to bite through them
0: so it's going to be more succulent because it's going to feel like it's just falling apart in your mouth it's not going to yeah. be as tough when you bite it you're not going to feel like you're having to rip it you can just bite through and that I presume also makes it more in line with the consistency of the other aspects of the burger as well so when you go for that one bite it all flows together as one
1: <clears throat> it does and if you can then then there's another step which I'll come on to in, 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 in a second which is the cooking and getting the crust so if you can have a nice crust, what happens with? We we use the word mouth watering to describe something really mouth. My my mouth is watering just thinking about this. Yeah. Now mouth watering is called such because it's more saliva. We want we want moisture. We want our mouth to water. Yeah. It's like opal fruits made to make your mouth water. They are. And <laughs> <laughs> and there are there are. Um, basically the two main causes of saliva generation in the mouth are acidity you only have to think about biting into a lemon and you can feel your mouth watering that's how opal fruits do it and chewing gum does it acidity and chewing when you chew you generate saliva which again this is what John Prince was working on inside the mouth because that helps lubricate the food so I wanted to have acidity in the burger and you wanted to chew it so the crust, when you bite into a crust, the actual crust, the crispy crust on a steak is dry, but you have, you, you chew it and that generates saliva. So you have the moisture that's inherent in the yeah. piece of meat itself, and the moisture that you can generate in your mouth by chewing. So you've got the, the, the nice fibers that just fall apart when you bite into it, and it's really moist, succulent um, meat on the inside with a nice crust, crispy, brown char grilled crust on the outside so you get the best of both worlds
0: it's that combination of the two which i wouldn't think of with a burger because you tend to think in my mind of a burger as being a single single texture throughout it
1: yes and it's 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 this mix where you want to be able to have the elements of it but then they become more than the sum of their parts and certainly if you have a burger you like you know if you were to put the bun on its own and the burger on its own and any other garnishes on their own and you ate them separately you wouldn't have the same experience
0: i've tried that and it doesn't work you try and eat it, with it doesn't like work a... does it no james said like with a knife and fork you break it all apart especially when you give them one of those burgers which is like 10 fingers tall you're like well i don't know what to do with this so i just sort of break it all apart and it doesn't work oh
1: it doesn't work and have you ever yeah have you ever had the one where they put you now they put a skewer a little stick through the burger to keep it together i don't know how to attack that i'm worried about spearing myself I did it once. I speared my the stick was was was. If you put it in, at least make it you know stick out so you can see it. But it was about the same length as the, as the depth of the whole burger and the bun. So I couldn't see it. I and I I, I started eating it and then I got to the middle bit and oh. exactly I, I skewered my uh, <laughs> my mouth. That was a memorable experience. That sounds awful. <laughs> Cooking the burger. What the, um, I talked about this in the in the on the steak podcast, it's the flipping technique. Get your pan, or you it works on barbecue, but super hot. It's really for me. It's really important that whether it's the barbecue or whether it is you're doing it in the kitchen, get the pan super super hot. Get the coals super hot. You you want you need long tongs because they're going to be so hot. You can't really put your hands too close. But that's why you need long tongs, because you're going to have to be flipping regularly. So let's say you're doing it in, in, in without a barbecue. Put the pan on the heat, put the heat on max, leave it for about five minutes or ten minutes. Don't put the oil in. It's safe. If the, if the oven, if the hob company make a hob to go to nine, it's because it can go to nine. If the saucepan companies make a pan that's really, you know, it's a metal pan, it can sit on the hob. My mum always used to say, oh, you're going to melt it. Well, no, because the health and safety wouldn't let you. The only thing you mustn't do is put the oil in until last minute. Because if you leave the oil in the smoking hot pan, it will will ignite. So have the burger ready. Ideally, make, make sure it's not from the fridge. Because otherwise, if you want it nice and juicy in the middle, the chances are the middle could be a bit too cold. So let it come to room temperature. Have the pan smoking hot. You don't have to put oil in the pan. You can, generous, gen, you can generously coat the patty, the meat patties, in the oil. But otherwise, oil in the pan, <clears throat> and then you put the burgers in the in the on the in the pan. And this is the key thing: flip them every twenty seconds max. You could do fifteen seconds. It sounds like a hassle, but it really isn't. It'll only take two, three minutes, four minutes to cook, depending on how thick they are but you keep flipping them. And the benefit of that is you are, when you you, you have the burger against the pan, so it's cooking at a really hot heat, getting, developing the crust, then you flip it. So that hot side then faces the air and allows it to cool down a bit. And then you're now applying the heat on the other side. So you're pulsing the high temperature through the burger. So you don't end up, in order to get a crust, you don't end up with this really great, uh, well done bit of burger. Super Under dry. the crust, and then yeah. a very yeah thin line of pink in the middle. Uh, if you want your burger well done, then it doesn't matter. But if you want it rare or medium rare with a crust, this is this is the way to do it. Flip, keep just keep flipping. It, it cooks almost quicker than if you leave it on one side and then turn it once. But you have a much more even temperature gradient and a really lovely crust on the outside. And when it's done, take it out, but don't put it on a plate. Because one of those one side of the burger is super hot. It's just come out of the pan. Yeah. If you put it on a plate, you're trapping that heat against the burger. You're putting the hot side on the plate, so that side of the burger will can continue to cook significantly oh, more yeah. than the other. So put it on a cake rack or a grill. You know, just take the grill tray out of your oven. Just sit it on there. Give it give it five minutes max, just to let it let it rest. Meanwhile, you can then do the buns. I'll come to the garnishes, which you can have ready, obviously, beforehand. But I'll leave those at the end because, obviously, that's where that's where personal taste, I think, can uh, can go all over the show. So, um, the buns for me, I would have soft buns. Really soft. Yeah, definitely. You've got this a squ. You've got this, what do you call it? A squ- um you have got like a double entendre. Squ- um, I can't think of the word on your face. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know you have. Can <laughs> soft buns. Nice buns. <laughs> um, soft buns, and and then um, if they're ready, sliced in half. As soon as the burgers come out of the pan, just put the buns, the the sliced buns, cut face down. If on the barbecue, just put them bar- barbecue. So you want to, to toast toast the buns, just the one side. Now, cheese. Me, I love cheese on my burger. And what cheese to use comes down to personal taste. Also, it depends on whether you want your cheese melted. I like my cheese melted, or slightly melted at least, on the the burger. If you don't have a grill or a a lid for your barbecue, then it's probably, and you want the cheese melted, then it's probably better to take um, either those burger slice cheese slices. Because yeah, they're a yeah, step yeah, towards the Louis Lunch spreadable cheese and they melt. Yeah, really quickly. yeah they are. They taste like Or burgers. you can you can you can buy cheese slices for burgers which are softer. When the burger's ready, when you put on the cake rack, flip it so the side against the pan is now facing up and immediately put your cheese slice on. So the burger will should be hot enough to slightly melt the cheese if the cheese is soft enough. You can also whack it under the grill for a few seconds if you want the grill ready, or you can put the cheese slice on and close the lid if you've got a if you've got a barbecue with a lid. But don't keep it. Remember, it will continue to cook. Yeah. Uh, then to finish, what I this is my personal, just my what I my personal favourite is I get onion slices, oh, yeah. slice the onions, and I put them in a bowl of water for about 10, 20 minutes. Uh, no longer because they they lose their freshness. But but what that does is it just removes some of the really strong, you know, those strong sulphurous, peppery compounds in the in the onion. Yeah,
0: again, it something it will dominate. The, something that will take over the burger you don't want in there.
1: Yeah, just just put them in cold water. Just just leave them in a bowl. But if don't leave them for any longer than say twenty minutes. So put your onion rings, and you can change. To, just remember that the thickness of the slices of the onion rings you put in. Will also have an effect in texture and and flavour, but that's personal choice. I like lettuce, crispy lettuce. So I like a uh, iceberg. Oh, pickles, but not cornichons. The the big dill.
0: Is that the ones they use in McDonald's?
1: Yeah, they'll be the dill pickles. They they slice them. They slice them, so they're circular. I slice them so they're they're long. But the so cir- it doesn't really matter. Actually, it depends if you want to bite through a more chance of biting through a, a pickle or not. So uh then tomatoes so nice ripe tomato slice those and there's all sorts of discussions as what order do you layer if you're going to use these ingredients what order do you put them in and that really depends on personal taste so remember that when you squeeze into the burger the juices are going to come out of the meat so depending on you know sometimes you must have had this you might buy a burger bun from the from the shops and there's no they're soft but there's no sort of elasticity in them so when they, when they get a bit of moisture in they just fall apart
0: yeah yeah all so everything.
1: if you think you might have a bun that might fall apart then you might want to put the lettuce on the bottom
0: oh i didn't even think about the sort of moisture containment use of, of yeah. various different vegetables that's
1: incredible yeah they, when you zoom into this it's it's just like you you open another world and another world and another world so it really is a matter of choice where you want to where you want your layers to be also when you bite into something, remember that there will be a difference. If the cheese was underneath the burger, or the cheese was on top of the burger, there would be a difference because it would hit the roof of your mouth below before, uh, and not the the you know your your lower palate, which also has a different effect. But if you can eat burgers with awareness and ask yourself these questions, then you have got to get another life. No, if you could eat, <laughs> if you could do that, then then you just start to discover all these things. You have all these questions. I never thought about that with burgers. And then you might discover that you actually prefer, it. oh, let's try it this way around or that way around. I did do once, which actually worked really well. I've done this with bacon sandwiches, but being a sort of semi-half inspiration from Louis' lunch. I used toast, but what I did was I took a, toast, a piece of toast and a piece of bread. So one half, the, the bottom half was toasted and the top half was, was bread. Untoasted, so that gave me an interesting contrast. If you ever think you have a problem with gluten or you don't want to eat so much bread, big sort of layers of iceberg lettuce, wrap that around, put the burger and the cheese and the and your other garnish, and just wrap the iceberg lettuce around it instead of the bun. That, that sounds really great.
0: Well. That sounds I'd really never considered well. that before. You'll
1: be you'll be surprised at actually how much satisfaction you can still get without without having the bun. And now in terms of sauce, for me, ketchup, mayonnaise. And for me, the magic ingredient with with ketchup and mayo is French's mustard. Yeah, the yellow one. The yellow one. And if you look on the packet, look on the tub of French's mustard. Most people think it's full of of rubbish. It's full of all sorts of things. And it's much purer than, than shop-bought mayonnaise and much purer than ketchup. I wouldn't have said it's that. You're turmeric. right.
0: I, I, you look at it and think, especially
1: when it comes out, the color of it, like this is It's the cu- it's turmeric. natural. It, it, it's got like four ingredients in it. It's incredible. Um, but I suppose it's such an iconic shaped bottle and the, and the label is so iconic that maybe they don't change it. But I'm sure so many people, they could do, they could, they could, you know, benefit from some decent marketing probably. <laughs> but if you make a mixture of French's, ketchup and mayonnaise, mix that together. You basically get McDonald's special sauce. I mean... Try to say that quickly. Special sauce, cheese, pickled onion.
0: I suppose... It, so, I mean, the only problem everyone has is that we've only got about a month of summer left, and if they start now, there's no chance they're going to have this done by
1: uh, probably Christmas, maybe? You can actually... Um, and this is a, a plug for for, for Waitrose. said like a shameless plug. However, one of my... Some of the stuff I've done for, for Waitrose... Because of all the labeling laws, there's had to be so much text on the box. And the letters are so small you can't see. They don't realize that we put so much work into those burgers. They are made, you know, They Waitrose made a machine that makes the mince all come out the same direction. Oh, wow. Just like we did for the perfection show. You know, if you want to go to the bother of, it is, it go to the hassle of getting the meat, aging the meat, getting the right cuts, mincing it two different levels, sorting some of the mince and then forming it into your patties i think if you're going to do burgers for let's say you've got 20 30 people coming over for for a barbecue maybe it's worth i don't know um but i'm just giving you i'm giving you my hamburger journey which doesn't involve moguls or horses
0: (laughs) (laughs) it is a true i mean the point of these podcasts and what you've been doing for me and hopefully our listeners over the past number of weeks is just making us look differently at the stuff we eat and and I have never put this much consideration into a burger, just just in how it's built, how it's made, all the different aspects, how they work together. Um, and that was, a, that was a real joy. I genuinely want a burger now, and the right type of burger, and I'll be trying out some of the things you said. But that was a really wonderful journey inside the inside of the inside of a burger. Thank you, Heston, that was, that was brilliant. We have some special episodes coming up over the next few weeks, but for now... On our burger episode,
1: all that's left to say is goodbye, Heston. And goodbye, Jay. And goodbye, everyone listening. And good luck. <laughs> if, you're for, if you're going for full burger action or even partial burger action.